You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series on Romans, presented by Scott Schuler. People didn't really uh, know them personally, and yet uh, was moved by the Holy Spirit to deal with the problems that they were having already. He wrote it from Corinth in 59 AD. Um, the church had begun early. It rose out of the Jewish population, and the Jewish people in Rome had suffered a great deal under the various Caesars. Uh, they had been exiled. They had been run out of town three times. They had returned. Uh, they were actually back in Rome at the time that Paul wrote this letter. And so he is dealing with a church which consists of two different groups. He's dealing with the Jewish believers in Christ who had returned and had been through all of this persecution, and he is talking also to the Gentile believers in Christ who were living and worshiping alongside of the Jews and therefore was was dealing with uh, traditions that were very different from the ones that they were raised with. And so he's trying to meld together into one faith two different people with two different perspectives, two different ways of life, two different ways of looking at things and mold them into one body of Christ. There was, of course, a lot of tension between them. Uh, one of the re- things that we know about the early church was that as, uh, 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 it did start actually in the Jewish temple. It did start in the synagogue, and eventually, uh, throughout that part of the world, the tension between them got so great that the Christians went out on their own and didn't meet in the synagogues anymore. Uh, they began to form the little house churches that we know about. They began to worship as uh, individual units. Uh, the Jewish believers in Christ were with them as well as the Gentiles who were grafted in, but uh, there was a, a certain amount of tension that was going on, and uh, Paul had a, a, that to deal with as well. So he's writing to encourage and to instruct them, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the truth, the one true gospel that must be believed, that must be held, that must, must be also be um, evangelized to all the world? Because as we all know, without evangelism and without the Holy Spirit moving within people, the church will be gone in a generation. Is that not so? We have to get this. The church grows only by uh, people coming to the Lord individually. Uh, As much as we would like our children to pick it up just on the basis of the fact that they are our children and they inherit everything else, they don't always inherit our faith. And, of course, there are a lot of people who haven't heard about Jesus at all and have to be taught. One of my stories, we we think of of ourselves often as a Christian nation. This story always sort of tickles me. Um, As a Christian nation, we think at least people know who Jesus is. Guy with long hair and a beard, and maybe you have some sheep standing next to him. At the very least, that he stands for uh, peace, he stands for, you know, this kind of thing. Um, I heard this from from an evangelist on the radio a number of years ago who was stopped at a little jewelry store in Denver at the airport in order to buy, he wanted to buy a cross for his wife for uh, her birthday. And he goes into the jewelry store, and the jewelry clerk says to him, do you want just the regular cross or do you want the one with the little man on it? You know what that means, right? doesn't know who the little man is. For some reason, they're making jewelry of crosses. They put a man on it. Has not the slightest idea who it is. Of course, how would he possibly know unless he hears from somebody who does know what the man's doing there and what the man accomplished there? Uh, there is one true gospel that has to be taught, that has to be believed, that has to be held to. The idea of keeping the false gospels out, 
of keeping the false teachings out. This was big on Paul. We see this all the time. One of the uh, writings, remember, from the book of Galatians, he's like three verses into the book of Galatians, and he's yelling at them already. Who has bewitched you? Who has done this to you? Who has come in and taken the gospel that we gave you and turned it and corrupted it into something so foreign that it's, uh, it's in danger of undermining the, the entire faith of your group there? Let's read together uh, the, the verses today, starting with chapter 15, or verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Christians, we deal with this all the time, or we should be dealing with this all the time. Because as we go out into the world and we deal with the world and we confront the world and the world's ways and the world's um, values, we have to remember who we are and we have to be followers of Christ in Christ all the time. We are constantly being uh, confronted with the temptation, even with the requirement to change. To give that up for the sake of who we're dealing with, of who we're around, the values that we are confronting, the values that we have to deal with, we have to remember who we are so we can stay true to it. We're never supposed to compromise or let up for the sake of the people that are around us. We are not chameleons. Righteousness and justice is of God. Uh, as Paul tells us, one time, that's not the good in me, it's, uh, it's God in me. That's where the good comes from. To the extent that I'm good, it's God in me that makes it a part of who I am and changes my nature. Now, the Romans had been hearing that righteousness and justice comes from Caesar. Remember that Caesar was worshipped as a god. In fact, the, the uh, church got into a lot of trouble, and so did the Jews, because they would not worship Caesar as a god. They were constantly getting into trouble with the state. We're dealing with the uh, separation of synagogue and state, I guess. Of, of who it is we're supposed to get our information from, who rules, who decides, who has priority, who takes precedence. The Romans had been hearing righteousness and justice is what Caesar says it is. And we as Christians, we get our idea of justice and righteousness somewhere else. We get our idea of justice and righteousness from God. The one truth that we accept as being completely um, uh, not subject to compromise it cannot be uh, watered down. It can't be rewritten to suit ourselves. Uh, it comes from God, and we use it 
to see the world and all of our dealings with the world, the separation of, of uh, church and state. Referring back to Romans 5, which we were talking about in November, the Lord coming to us sets up two kingdoms. He deals with two kingdoms, and you can live in one or the other, that's it. Uh, We talk about sometimes the freedom that we have, the places we can do, the things we can make for ourselves. There's only two kingdoms to choose from. Um, It's almost impossible anymore to get online and read about uh, this and not have Bob Dylan come up. Can you hear it? You've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. It comes up all the time. It's just all the time. Bob, it's, become, it's become bigger than blowing in the wind. Kingdom of sin and death is the one kingdom. The kingdom of righteousness and life is the other kingdom. As Jesus tells us, you were either for me or against me. These are the only choices you have. Has anybody ever gone whitewater rafting? I went whitewater rafting, and I, I still, I, I don't know who talked me into it. They talked me into it, they talked me into it twice, so I, I was pretty gullible. But the one time that I went um, whitewater rafting, there was just me and another guy. It was my friend in the back of the boat. Um, and we go through the, through the rapids, and when you get to the rapids, do you remember, they, they tell you, there's one thing always to remember about when, you go, when you're coming up to a rock. Lean towards the rock. If you don't remember anything else, do you remember that? Lean towards the rock. I don't, doesn't make any difference. What else you remember? Lean towards the rock. If you don't, you're going to go over. So we're trying to get through these rapids, and I'm not, I don't know anything about boats. I, you know, I, I don't know anything about boats, let alone a whitewater raft. So we're going through the rapids, we're shooting through the rapids, and I'm real, I am really working hard. This is not, I bet, I, I thought it was going to be hard, but it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And when I finally got through the rapids, I looked in the back, and my buddy Tom had lost his paddle. And he lost his paddle a long time ago. (laughs) And when Tom lost his paddle, he stopped being my partner. When Tom lost his paddle, he started being my burden. He was no longer my paddle. He was freight. He was cargo. He was ballast. And he was making my job very difficult trying to get through. This is what happens when we say, when we're trying to be, uh, when we're uh, not of God. Uh, we don't just go along for the ride. We're not, we're not a harmless little thing that gets carried along. We are a, a burden, a weight on the body that Jesus works to overcome. Of course, he overcomes it, but we are not neutral. When we are not for God, we are against him, whether we acknowledge it or not, working actively against him. And we, as the members of the church, are dealing with people trying to keep us going and people who are against him. They're not neutral. Whether they realize it or not, they are serving somebody, and they're against him. In this book, notice Paul uses the word righteousness to refer to God. It just happens to be another term for it. So when you see that he's a kingdom of righteousness, he is talking about the kingdom of God, because there is only one righteousness, which is the righteousness of God. So we're on the side of righteousness, and we are slaves to righteousness. We serve righteousness. We serve the purpose of righteousness. And what Paul, how he starts off this section of Scripture is, Well, what then? Shall we go on sinning because we're under grace? What's he mean by this? To go on sinning under grace. He's actually saying, can you look at this circumstance and come to the conclusion that sinning is okay? 
In fact, that sinning might even be desirable because the more we sin, the more grace there is, the greater God shows himself to be, the more evidence we have of God's working. Uh, is, isn't sinning, can it be viewed as sometimes a good thing because it might actually show how great God is by overcoming it all the time? Of course not. But today it could seem like when we do this and try to fight against this, we're actually flirting with works righteousness. We'll talk about this some more and also with judgmentalism. The thing with, um, with the, the sinning like this is it comes under the heading of the old joke that, uh, or the old sta- statement is it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Uh, we... I deal with this all the time. I don't know if you deal with this or not. People are hard to figure out, are they not? People are a mystery. People are just hard to figure out. They surprise us all the time. Uh, how many times have you said, I, I know what they'll say when they hear this, and they surprise us. I know that Denise will love this uh, set of tools for Christmas. She will like this more than anything, and vacuum cleaner bags. She's always saying we don't have any vacuum cleaner bags. I have taken care of that at Christmas time and put them in her stocking, and she didn't like it. You, just when you think you have somebody figured out, people are always surprise us. Therefore, people sometimes seem to us as Christians that it takes more effort to keep a person happy than to keep God happy. Can you picture that? We know we can talk to God. We know God will understand. We know when we go to the Lord and ask forgiveness, he's going to forgive us. We know that the Lord loves us and that he cares for us. We do not know this about the people around us. And we certainly don't know this about people we only know a little bit, people that we work with, people that we encounter and that we just don't know. People are too hard to figure out. We can be compromising our faith around them, saying what we want to manipulate them, saying what we want to try to keep them off of our backs, saying whatever it is we can do to make life easier by keeping them from being an adversary to us, knowing that tonight when I go to the Lord in my prayers, he'll forgive me. I can count on that. I don't know what to do with the people. And so oftentimes when it comes to dealing with sin, when it comes to our dealing with the, with the world at large, we apply uh, oftentimes sinful measures to them. We might not even think of them as being especially sinful because they're not that bad. Is it that bad to manipulate somebody in order to have peace? Isn't peace a good thing? I had a woman who was, uh, Denise knows this person at Rockland Church, and her big thing was, I'm honest. What she really meant was, I'm cruel. I am blunt, and I am cruel, and I will beat you on the head with it, and because I am honest, God is using me as his instrument because honesty is a good thing, and the rest of you are a bunch of sort of scheming manipulators who are always trying to say things that will get get your way, whereas I, on the other hand, everybody knows where I stand. And she lived her whole life this way. Uh, The idea of being completely sinless this way, the idea of being something that might be called good, if your heart is in the wrong place, it's obviously not of God. And it's not a good witness. Um, Getting a person like that to go to uh, prayer was the hardest task. Okay, also from the last time. Remember the, last, uh, the, the first section of chapter 6, we talked a lot about baptism. Baptism was represented here as of supreme importance. 
And one of the things that we discussed last time was that the church has taken baptism and turned it most in many churches. And honest, I don't, I'm, I don't mean to stand here. I, I don't. But we, we need to understand this. And one of the things that Paul does when he writes these letters is we have to acknowledge the things that are in front of us and decide whether something needs to be done about them and whether we need to bring them to God. And one of the things about baptism is it has been reduced to a ritual and a rite, and it is not the matter of surrendering one's life to Jesus Christ and saying, I am now being brought into a new way of life, into Christ. It is an exodus from the kingdom of sin and death that I consciously make, that I eagerly make, joining in with God and becoming part of his kingdom from now on. It is not always understood that way. It is not always presented that way. And we see this especially uh, now. I, I say especially. I don't want to be cruel. I don't. But we know how many people bring their babies in for baptism because grandma wants it done. We know how many people say, this is what we're supposed to have happen. Maybe if, the, if anything, you know, we've got to bring this in because we are told that to not do this is wrong. Um, baptism is, is seen as an exodus. We have, we have left the Egypt of sin, and we are now en route to the promised land. We are now following Jesus. We're following, just like it says in the, old, in the hymn, I, you know, uh, we're following Jesus. We are going where he goes, uh, following his leading, staying behind him, taking up our cross daily and following him um, en route to the promised land. We have left the Egypt of sin behind. We are now God's people, and we have a new master. This is our master. Um, he is our Lord. And one of the things that also happens in the United States is we don't know very much about lords. We don't know very much about living under a lordship. <clears throat> it's not a part of our present culture. It's not, we don't have lords now. We have governors, we have uh, county council members, we have bosses, we have a whole lot. Well, we don't have lords, and we know that if we don't like our boss, we are free to quit. If we don't like our governor, we're either free to move or we're free to, uh, to campaign to get the, uh, the governor removed from office and have somebody else come in, we are free to do things to address the fact that we don't like the regime, but, or we don't like the attitudes of the people who uh, are in authority over us, but we now have a Lord whose word is law. And we acknowledged our Lord, his word is law, at our baptism when we came in and said, we're going to be part of you now, not conditionally. You know, one of the things that... Um, this reminds me of is you know, some of us live in communities where they have covenants. Covenant's a good Christian word. God uh, gives us a covenant, which means here is the covenant. These are the rules. Either come in and join completely given over to what these rules are or don't. How many uh, communities have people who have moved into communities that have these covenants, and when they come in, what they're saying to themselves is, I'll do what I want, and I dare them to do something about it. I will paint my door a color they don't like. I will put a swing set in my backyard. I will keep a boat in my driveway. I will do all these other kind of things that they ask you not to do. Say, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I won't cut my grass as often as I'm supposed to. I won't rake my leaves. I won't, do, I won't power wash the stuff off the side. We're supposed to do these things we pick and choose. Um, our attitude towards uh, authority, our attitude towards these covenants is very selective. When we give ourselves to Jesus... We are supposed to understand that what we have done is entered in and said, you are my Lord, what you say goes. Um, I pointed this a couple of weeks ago. I just, th I just think this is a really great example that uh, Bill Smith used a couple of weeks ago. And he was um, mentioning, God is my Lord, 
God rules, I do what God says. If he tells me something that makes no sense to me, I change my mind about what it means to me. And I, I guess it just happened to catch Bill's mice. He knows where I'm going. He said, if God tells me that I am not to like microphones, I will not like microphones. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. But he's God, and if he says that I'm not to like microphones, that's it. And so whatever, when, when God is the one who gives the rules, we as the people who are under his lordship, who, and who are under his lordship willingly, we give ourselves to him and we surrender to him and we allow ourselves to be baptized in him. We, in fact, we run to him and cling to him. This is who we're clinging to. And we trust him that he knows what he's doing and we love him enough to do what he says. So who are we now? We are slaves to righteousness, for we were bought with a price. I forget this scripture way too often. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. I was bought and paid for. I was worth, as are you, a very great price in order to ha- for him to have us as his own. This is who we are now. We've been liberated, so we're no longer slaves to sin. No longer our master. And it doesn't reign over us or in us. But we know that we're not without sin. All of us have sinned today. Days young, we've sinned. Some of us are sinning right now. Depending on what we're thinking or who we're thinking about or, you know, some, some other things. So we get distracted when we're sitting someplace. A lot of us are thinking about tomorrow. tomorrow's Monday morning, right? We know how highly regarded Monday morning is in our culture. And we know that a lot of people are sitting here right now thinking about Monday morning and how we're going to confront the thorn in our side that, that is, uh, we're going to find there. We're free, but we do have a master who we have submitted to willingly and whom we trust. Because we're free from sin and the wages that they bring. This is, this is what sin pays. Everybody has a job. If we live in the kingdom of sin, we get paid, and that's what we get paid. Which I assume is something we don't want to get paid. To be in Christ is to submit ourselves to his power. Paul talks about power a lot. Paul talks about the power of God a lot. We've been praying today for the power of God to be moving within us. The power of God is in us because Christ is in us. When Christ is in us, he brings his power with him. He didn't leave it back. He didn't leave it because he's dealing with human beings. He brought his power with him. When Christ is in us, he is in us in his entirety, in his purity, in his holiness, in his perfection, in his wisdom, in his power. We have access to power. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do things that oftentimes we just simply cannot bring ourselves to believe we can do. And one of the things that we are called to do is to obey. Obedience is very important in the Christian faith. It's very important to Jesus. Those who hear my words and do them, those are the ones who love me. Those are the ones who for me and not against me. Those are the ones who live in the kingdom of righteousness rather than the kingdom of sin and death. Obedience is how we know. 
Why is it important for us to know this about other people? Yes, it is. This is why Paul makes such a big deal of it. We are a body of Christ working with each other, edifying each other as iron sharpens iron. We, there's a lot of different teachings here about how we are to serve one another and be with one another for the sake of the coming kingdom, for the edification of the body of Christ. Obedience is the way that this is carried out because to, to disobey is to ad lib and to start doing things our way, which we know by definition is inferior uh, at least and sinful at worst. So we, we're in him in righteousness. Understanding, and this is where we flirt with works righteousness, we are to do good things. We are to be good. We are to be kind. There's all these other things that we know that Christians are supposed to be that oftentimes non-Christians tell us that Christians are supposed to be. But it's not the means of salvation. We know that. We know that, by, that we don't save ourselves by being good. We're not saved by an action. We're saved by a person and by the action that he took. So it's not the means of salvation, but it is the fruit of obedience to Christ. This is how you know, as, they, as the old song goes, we used to teach the youth, they will know we are Christians by our love and by our obedience. Serving our new master, as, Jesus, as we are told, take every thought captive for Christ. Now think that the, the Bible oftentimes uses words that are daunting. The word every is a word that I find daunting. The word always, the word never, the word none, all of those are daunting because I have an exception in my mind for practically everything. Every thought, are I not, are I not justified, am I not justified to have some of the thoughts I have even though they're not terribly godly? Does not this person bring this upon themselves? Do not the circumstances uh, justify it or require it or give me some reason to go and how to do these things? Can I not be a step aside from Christ just for a minute and do things my way because they might be harmless or they might be gratifying or they might be useful and make it right with God later? Take every thought captive for Christ. Every thought gets us into the idea of purity. He's the Lord of my entire life. Now, it's, it's hard for me to not start, when I start thinking my entire life, as a man, it uh, might be true for women too, but having not been a woman, I'll have to take your, the women's word for it. But for a man, what is true is, and we know this, when, some, when you introduce yourself to somebody, what do they want, to, to men, what do they want to know about you? What your job is. What do you do? Where do you work? What's your job? This is the most important thing. The job is, is your identity. This is how you make yourself known to people. And oftentimes, our job is viewed as something that is sort of off to the side of our Christian life. Sometimes our jobs require us. Sometimes our jobs literally require us to do things that are not Christian. I was not at the Rouse Company very long when I was 23 years old when I was told that I had to start lying. If you want to get information, and this information is considered confidential, you've got to lie to get it. You can't go to something and get this confidential information just saying, I want it. They say, well, why should I give it to you? These are corporate secrets. These are things that I don't have to give to somebody else. I damage myself when I turn these over to you. And I said, well, they're not going to give it to me. They said, well, find a way. 
I don't care how you do it. Go out there and find a way. And I did it. And I did it for 17 years. Because to not do it was to lose my job, and that was more important to me than keeping God happy. Jesus, you understand. I have to feed my family. He's the Lord of my entire life. Work comes underneath of Jesus. Everything is under the realm of Jesus. Everything that we do is under the realm of Jesus. All of our recreation, all of the ways that, all of the diversions, all of the things that we do in our spare time, all of these things. With me, one of the things was the TV shows, the movies, the music, the music. Denise will tell you about the music. Denise cannot listen to my music. Cannot. Um, primarily because she doesn't acknowledge that it is music. Um, <laughs> I've, I've told you, I have tinnitus that I got from a Led Zeppelin concert from getting as close as I could to the, to the, to the amps. And my years have been, that was in 1971. Oh, good price to... <laughs> the end. Um, I made my point. The music. <laughs> no sin is a little sin. Sometimes we think that little sin, little white lies, little peccadillos, little uh, character flaws. My parents, when I was little, had three swear words that they would use, and they drew the line. They, they wouldn't go past that. They would use those three all the time. They didn't seem to feel anything uh, wrong with those. They were considered fairly mild, but they wouldn't go beyond that probably for our sakes, but to this day, there are words I have not heard my father use that I know he uses. He was a Marine. And unless he was a very unusual Marine, I don't think that he was. I believe he spoke like all of the other Marines. And so I know he at least is acquainted with those words. He would not use them around my brother and me. He still has not. But he still swears. It's just that he has sort of a line beyond which he will not go. Um... It's sort of like, I think I mentioned this actually on another slide coming up, but it's sort of like we have a deductible. We're allowed a certain amount of sins. We're allowed a certain amount of sort of light, light, you know, sin light before we cross into the area where things are really serious and we have to start, uh, you know, saying, okay, now I've gone too far. These are things I have to do about. There are no little sins. We're in the process of sanctification, which is made saintly, made holy, and holiness is pure. There are no little sins in... Holiness. There is no little sort of uh, uh, exception, little elements at the bottom that, uh, that come in. When you're being sanctified, you are be- you're being made pure. This is the process that we're in right now, and it touches every thought, every idea, every attitude, every motive, every moment, as we are in Christ. And it looks like a very, very big job, but of course we have help. The Lord didn't say... Get back to me in 70 years and tell me how you've done with trying to be a good person. The Holy Spirit is with us right now, helping us with every one of these things. The Holy Spirit cares. We're still tempted to sin. Paul was like this. One of the scriptures that we like in Paul, one, I, I like, I should, they always tell you, just speak for yourself. Um, the things that I want to do, I can't, bring, I can't do them. I know I'm supposed to do them, I can't. 
There are other things that I know I'm not supposed to do. I can't stop doing them. I know this one very well. I've confessed this before. I got up this morning knowing it would have been better for me to have eaten grapes than to have eaten Captain Crunch. I love Captain Crunch. And sugar-frosted flakes and a whole bunch of other things that are not good for me. How many grapes did I eat this morning? Absolutely none. Captain Crunch, on the other hand, and I know better. God, I can't, but the Holy Spirit can. We're tempted to sin, but it's not the same thing as being dominated by it, and it's not the same thing as being at peace with it. It's not the same thing as being comfortable with it or accommodating it. Yes, we sin. I know we sin. We slip up all the time. Some of them are very large, but it is not my way of life. I'm not dominated by it. We are to be appalled by it, even in ourselves, maybe particularly in ourselves, since it's, we, you know, we, we sin enough ourselves without doing too much with what the other people are doing. We're not to accommodate it. The line in the sand, the, the, the deductible that I mentioned. We have repented. When we came to the Lord for in the baptism, we repented. A change of heart, a change of direction. This is who I am now. I will continue to walk in this direction with the help of the Holy Spirit. From now on, in its entirety, I give everything to you. Complete surrender. Take me and do with me as you will. This is who I want to be from now on, a man of God. He does accept us as we are. We know the, um, the song that uh, we see this in the Billy Graham Crusades as they come down to the stage, just as I am, without one plea. He does accept us as we are, but we're not to remain as we are. Uh, sanctification begins at our conversion, the process of the Holy Spirit working within us, making us pure, making us saintly, uh, making us uh, into the people of God, and it continues for the rest of our lives. When we slip up, when we uh, interfere, when we say what we're not going to do, when we resist the Lord, we're always welcome back. The process is still continuing. As human beings, the Lord knows our sanctification does have interruptions and hiccups. Just the nature, just the nature of who we are. If it happened to Paul, it's certainly going to happen to us. And so the question becomes one: of What happens when that do we let do we let Satan beat up on us and tell us that we're the, the biggest slimes that ever came down the pipe, or do we surrender to the Lord and say, "Thank you, Lord. I know I, I confess it. I receive your surrender. I, be, I receive your forgiveness. I trust in your forgiveness. Now, keep me from doing this again in purification." We are to be holy, a holy priesthood. We are to be holy. Be holy as I am holy, set aside for God and fit for the kingdom. We remember the power that frees us from this sin and carries us where we need to be. It's more powerful than the adversary, and the adversary is powerful. The adversary is tricky. The adversary knows more about lying and knows more about how to sort of get us distracted then we give him credit for. A lot of things that we do, we just simply do not give Satan the, the uh, credit for the fact that we have been beset upon by somebody who knows what he's doing and getting us off the, off the path and going the wrong way. The Holy Spirit is what helps us to do battle. Now lastly, uh, I said we'd be flirting with judgmentalism. Uh, what Paul is doing when he's writing this is he's talking about behavior of people within the church, uh, people who have gone astray, people who have adopted false teachings, 
Uh, he's basically saying, we acknowledge what we're seeing is this. We're not judging to say that you're preaching a false gospel. We have the true gospel here. You are preaching something else. It's a false gospel. What are you going to do about it? You can continue to preach it, just not here. And you can't call it Christian when it's not. You can't say it's of Jesus when it's not. Jesus tells us what the, what the gospel is. Um, if we're going astray from that, we're going in the wrong direction. We're not the judge. We're not invited to judge. We're not invited to say that's a bad person. We're not invited to say that person is condemned. We're not invited to say that person is going to hell. Besides, we have a beam in our own eye that has to be taken care of. And remember, one of the things in the scripture that's oftentimes forgotten, when they say, okay, uh, I see a speck in my neighbor's eye, first remove the beam in your own eye, what comes after that? So that you can remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. The idea of moving the speck from your neighbor's eye remains. But we're in a better position to serve when we take care of ourselves first. Paul and John, in particular, are clear about who is and who is not of God, to say nothing of Jesus. It does matter. We're not judging. We're simply letting people tell us who they are by whether or not they are acknowledging and speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as Christians are given over to Jesus Christ who has a gospel that has certain um, elements to it, that has certain truths to it, and when we depart from it, we're not Christian anymore. There's no, it's not an insult to be called that. You've called yourself that if, you take that if you take that stance. All we're doing is agreeing with you. But from the point of view of, of, of the Christian, we need to understand these things because churches are dealing with false doctrine all the time because as human beings, we are continually coming up with our own version of events. We are continually coming up with our own interpretation of things, and they need to be weighed against the, the, the Scripture, against the Gospel, to find out, does this hold water with the Gospel or not? Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever hears my words and does them, and will know them by their fruit. Don't judge, but pray, help, and love. The Holy Spirit is with us in this, the Holy Spirit is here as, remember one of the terms that we are told about the Holy Spirit, he is the comforter and he is the counselor, besides being the advocate. He will guide us in the way of all righteousness. He will guide us in these ways. We just need to make it a way of life to surrender to him and seek him, press into him, to understand uh, what it is that he wants us to do. Uh, we are not orphaned and we are not left on our own to accomplish these things by ourselves. We already know we can't do it, uh, so it's just a matter of how can we do it by surrendering to the Lord and staying uh, in prayer with him always. He will help us. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's New Hope podcast. Chapel's Located podcast. in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.